Well, good evening. My name is Luke. I'm one of the pastors here. Sounds a little loud to me, but um, John and Hanny had the privilege of being able to stand up and take off their masks before they preached. And I'm guessing that Pastor Gerald heard that I was preaching this week, and he said, man, no one needs to see that. So I have to preach in a mask again with the COVID restrictions, and we are going forward. So Hanny, John, it was a privilege, guys. It was a privilege. We are going to be in 2 Timothy, not 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17. It will be a topical message, and so we'll be kind of jumping around the scriptures. I have my handy-dandy PowerPoint that I'm going to be clicking through. But if you have your Bible, you can turn to 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, or you can follow along on the screen behind me. This is the word of the Lord. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Lord God, you have given us your word, and it is good. It is a gift that we don't deserve to be able to read the very words of God. So, Lord, I pray that you would help me to preach. Lord, help me to preach as one who speaks oracles of God, so that you, Lord, get the glory. Lord, I pray that you would mark our finishing of 2021 and our beginning of 2022 as a church by the Scriptures and by our love for the Scriptures. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it is the end of 2021. Almost. Have one more day. The end of 2021 may not feel like it. Next, in a couple days, we will be in a new year that I'm guessing will feel a lot like this past year, which has felt a lot like the year before it. But we will be in a new year. And this is the time when many people are looking back on the last year and evaluating and saying, how was it? How did I do? What, what things went well for me this last year, and what things do I want to change for next year? And then we make things called resolutions or goals. I'm a big resolution person. One of my goals for 2022 is I want to learn how to back up into parking spaces at parking lots. In America, I never did that. In the UAE, people are masters of it. And I feel like a fool every time. But 2022 is my year for backing into parking spaces. During this time of year, every single one of us hears from different people telling us what we need to do to be successful. So whether it's influencers on social media, whether it's friends and family, whether it's celebrated authors or megachurch pastors, we all hear about what do you need to do in the next year to make it your best year ever, or to live your best life now, to be able to have all the success that you desire in the next year. And during this time of the year, at the very end, when we can pause and reflect, 
one of the most important questions, if not the most important question that you should ask, is where do I turn for help? So if I'm reflecting upon the last year and looking forward to the next year, where do I turn? In light of these questions, we're going to be ending 2021 and beginning 2022 by looking at the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture. Let me see if my clicker works here. It's not working. The sufficiency of Scripture. Moses, if this doesn't work, I'll just point at you, and you can be my clicker for me. To be sufficient means that it is enough. So when you say the sufficiency of Scripture, that's a fancy way of saying it's enough. And the encouragement that my prayer is for our church, that as we end this year and begin a new year, we would look at the Scripture and we would see that it is enough for us. In the Bible, we have everything we need to be able to live a life that is pleasing to God, that honors Him and glorifies Him. The Bible is sufficient. It is enough for us. We're going to be looking at two questions related to the sufficiency of Scripture. The first is going to be, click, what is the sufficiency of Scripture? So what is the sufficiency of Scripture? And the next question is, why does it matter? Why does it matter? What is the sufficiency of Scripture? Why does it matter? Very complicated. So first, let's look at what is the sufficiency of Scripture. There are a number of different ways that you could describe the Bible. So if you were trying to open this book and you're saying, okay, what does this book say about itself? How do we describe this book? Well, you could say that the Bible is inspired by God. The Bible is God-breathed. It comes from the very mouth of God. That's why we call it the Holy Bible, because it is holy because it is from God. It is God's Word. You could also say that the Bible is authoritative. Because it is God's Word, it therefore carries God's authority with it. If I am in an office of authority and I tell you to do something, you can't say, oh, well, well, your word didn't matter. It's only you who have authority. This is God's word, and it has authority with it. Let me see if this works now. Oh, look at that. Um, it is authoritative. The Bible is also perfect. So as God's word, it bears God's characteristics. God is perfect. His word could not be imperfect. And it's clear it's clear. Now, it's not all equally clear, but you can read this book. You can read this book without mystical knowledge or without some hidden insight, right? Human authors wrote with objective meaning in this text, and through the use of study and grammar, you can discern what the meaning is. Each one of those truths about the Bible, inspired, authoritative, clear, perfect, all of those truths, not one of them comes from a single verse necessarily where you say, ah, this is the verse. Rather, those come from the whole teaching of Scripture that says, what does the whole Bible say about itself? And you put it together and you say, it's this. Well, one of the ways that theologians and that the church has talked about the Bible throughout the history of the church is to say it is sufficient. It is enough. And one of the key places that we see this truth taught is in the text that we just read, 2 Timothy 3, 16. In 2 Timothy 3, Paul has written to Timothy, 
reminding him of Paul's own persecutions and reminding Timothy of his roots in the scriptures. Timothy has grown up with the Bible. And Paul's writing to Timothy and he's saying, listen, Timothy, I've been persecuted. You're going to be persecuted. Indeed, anyone who seeks to live a godly life will be persecuted. What do you have, Timothy? You have the word. Remember, you have been taught this from your youth. You have these scriptures. And then he says, what do you need to get through this persecution, Timothy? And that's where our text comes in. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Timothy, in order to continue following the Lord faithfully in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of suffering and persecution, hold on to the Bible. You have the scripture as your tool. Every bit of this book, all of it, is for your good, to make you mature, to make you complete. And then look again just at the sweeping statement that Paul says. You, Timothy, will be equipped for every good work. Are there good works that you hope to walk in in 2022? I hope so. I hope that you're not ending this year and starting next year saying there's a whole lot of sin that I want to walk in. I hope you're saying, man, I made progress over the last year, but I want to keep growing. I, w- I want to grow more in this area of my life. Or I want to do a better job of controlling my temper or fighting against covetousness. Are there good works you want to walk in? You have the scriptures. The Bible is enough for you. It is sufficient. The reason that God gives us his word is so that we can use it to be equipped for every good work. In a moment, we're going to unpack that doctrine more. But before we do that, I want to talk about what the sufficiency of Scripture is not. What the sufficiency of Scripture is not. This doctrine is somewhat controversial in different places. And it can easily be misunderstood, both by people who believe it, who say, the Bible is sufficient, therefore we don't need whatever. And by people who don't believe it, who say, I couldn't believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, what about this? And so in order to understand what this is teaching, we need to be able to say, what are we not saying when we talk about the sufficiency of Scripture? Well, we don't mean that the Bible tells us in detail what to do in every area of our life. I am looking who to marry. Open it up. Rachel, not Leah. Boom, there we go. Well, that's not how the sufficiency of Scripture works. It doesn't tell us as a how-to manual how to use a concrete drill or how to perform eye surgery. But it does tell you how to do those things as a Christian in a way that honors the Lord through faith in Christ. We'll come back to that later. We don't mean that the Bible tells us in detail every area that we're supposed to do. We also don't mean that we don't need teaching and preaching. I have my Bible. That's enough. Well, the same God who gives his word to his people also gives teachers as a gift to the church. 
And so just because the scriptures are sufficient doesn't mean that we are sufficient interpreters of the scripture. We need to grow in understanding how to interpret it, and God has gifted his church with teachers and preachers. And we also don't mean that we can't learn from outside disciplines, that we can't learn from other areas, whether it's philosophy or sociology or psychology or medicine. We should look at these disciplines and learn from them, right? It's not, I only have my Bible, I don't need to know any stuff about that. But as we look at those disciplines, we should look at them through the lens of Scripture. Scripture is our authority, and we approach those disciplines as Christians. So when we say the Bible is sufficient, we don't mean it's the only thing that we have. Rather, we mean what? When we say the Bible is sufficient, we mean that in the Scriptures— We have every divine word that we need in order to live a life that is glorifying and honoring to the Lord. In the scriptures, we have every divine word that we need in order to live a life that is glorifying and honoring to the Lord. We should ask, when we talk about the sufficiency of scripture, we should ask, sufficient for what? What is it enough for? And this is the answer. The Bible is sufficient to give you every word of God that you need to be able to honor and glorify and enjoy him forever. This is what we see in 2 Timothy 3. We already saw it, but Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3.15 that Timothy, from his childhood, has been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make him wise, what for? The sacred writings aren't able to make him wise necessarily to be able to perform eye surgery. They're able to make him wise unto salvation. The scriptures are enough to make Timothy wise for salvation. That means that we don't need any other revelations from God in order to know the way to God through Christ. The scriptures are enough. Have you ever known someone who just wanted God to speak to them. That they, they had the Bible, but they said, if I just heard from the Lord, if I just received a word from the Lord, then I would be able to trust him and believe. Or maybe give me a sign, Lord. I want this miracle to take place so that I can trust you and believe. Or maybe you yourself, we, our church, we, we pray for unreached peoples, every worship service. Maybe you yourself, as you've been praying for unreached peoples, pray that God would give them dreams and revelations. Now, I believe that God can do that, and I don't think that it's wrong for us to pray in that way, but I would say they don't need dreams and revelations. They need God's Word, This is one reason why I think Bible translation is so important in terms of cross-cultural ministry. The scriptures are enough for unreached peoples. They're enough to lead someone to salvation. Jesus, in fact, was giving a parable one time about a rich man and Lazarus. So this rich man experienced good in this life, Lazarus experienced poor, the rich man died and went to Hades to suffer. Lazarus goes up and spends eternity in Abraham's bosom. 
Well, the rich man, from his suffering, looks up and he sees Lazarus. And out of concern for his family, he begs Abraham, just, just let me go back and tell my family. I don't want them to find out that, that, that this is like this. I want to go and warn them about this. And Jesus, speaking through Abraham in this parable, listen to what he says. They have Moses and the prophets. <laughs> they have the Bible. Let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they'll repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. And those of us who've read our Bibles know that that's true. <laughs> because when Jesus rose from the dead, how did the Pharisees respond to him? The same way they responded to his words, the word of God itself, was the way that they responded to his resurrection. The scriptures, Moses and the prophets, are enough to make these people wise. They have enough. Paul goes on to say the scriptures are sufficient to equip us for every good work. And this is the same thing that Peter says in 2 Peter 1. He says, His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises. Promises that are found in the scripture. You come to the knowledge of God through the precious and very great promises of the scripture, which are enough to give you everything pertaining to life and godliness. Paul says, you want good works? You have the word of God. Peter says, you want to live a life of godliness that's pleasing to God? You have the promises of God in the scriptures. The Bible is enough for you. You do not need new revelation from God. We do not need to pray for fresh revelation from God. Now, I'm saying need there. That's not a bad way to pray necessarily, but we do not need it. And some of us can be so tempted to just, we just want a word from the Lord. Lord, speak to me, I pray, and you just wait and listen and listen and listen. And we're not reading our Bible. Lord, I want to know your will. Well, Paul writes in Thessalonians, be holy. <laughs> this is the will of God, your sanctification. Right? So we have the scriptures. The scriptures are enough. But one question that I'm sure some of you are wondering is what about prophecy? What about prophecy? How should we understand the gift of prophecy when we're talking about the Bible and the sufficiency of the Bible? I just said, and I stand by what I said, that you do not need any new revelations from God. The Bible is enough. But if that's true, then how should we think about what the Bible itself teaches about the gift of prophecy? Now, at Redeemer Lane, we get asked all the time in our elder chats, what does this church believe about the gifts of the Spirit, specifically tongues and prophecies? So when we have our membership class, we do elder chats, people ask us that question all the time. And the answer that I always give is frustrating to people because our position of a church is that we have no position as a church on this issue. We are willing for people to disagree on this issue. This is a secondary or tertiary even issue 
third level issue. And so we want to have unity in the gospel while allowing for disagreement on this. We have members and elders who believe that the gift of prophecy continues in the life of the church. And we have members and have had elders who believe that the gift of prophecy ceases. That when the Bible was finished, the canon was closed, and no new prophetic revelations are given. It's okay for Christians to disagree on that. That's not a gospel issue, and we can experience unity in the church. We're okay with that tension that it creates sometimes. Now, I personally, speaking for myself, not for Redeemer Online, I personally believe that the gift of prophecy continues. So, I believe that the Bible is sufficient, and I believe that the gift of prophecy continues. But the gift of prophecy continues in a way that emphasizes and shows the sufficiency of Scripture. Genuine prophecy will never contradict the Word of God. Genuine prophecy is always subject to the testing of the Word of God. Genuine prophecy and genuine prophets are accountable to what the Scripture teaches. They don't have an option of disobeying the Bible just because their prophecy came true. In some of our home countries, we have prophets who think that because they've made these great prophecies that have come true, they can take additional wives, or they can take all this money, or that the rules don't apply for them. Well, that's not the way it is. The Bible is the thing that will judge them and condemn them eventually. The Bible is the standard, and it has always been the standard. It is what God has given his church as a sufficient standard. We don't need a new prophecy to offset this other prophecy. The Bible is enough. Even as it was being written, the Bible was the standard for prophecy. There's a helpful passage in Deuteronomy 13 that illustrates this. Moses is talking to the people of Israel, and he's setting up a scenario, and he says, if a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you, and gives you a sign or a wonder. And the sign or the wonder that he tells you comes to pass. This dude was right. (laughs) He made a true prediction. It comes to pass. And if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, what should you do? You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. The sign or the wonder that the prophet performs is not authoritative. It's not. I don't care if someone says something's going to come true, and it comes true, if they do not line up with this book. You can perform a miracle, Moses says, and you have the Bible to test the words of the prophet against. It doesn't matter whether the prophet says it's going to come to pass. If he tells you to go away from God, you're supposed not to listen to him. And how would you know not to listen to him? because you were reading your Bible, because you knew what the commandment was. You knew what the rules of the Lord were. You do not need prophetic words. 
They are a gift from the Lord, I believe, and they are good for the church, and we should not despise prophecies. But it is not despising prophecies to test prophecies, and it is not despising prophecies to hold them under the scriptures. How sweet it is that God has given us what we need in this book. Do you want to hear from the Lord? Read his word. Do you want to know the love that God has for you? God may send a prophetic utterance to tell you that, but he has written page after page after page of his love for his children in this book. The Bible is enough. Okay. My fear is that sometimes we can treat the sufficiency of Scripture and we can treat Scriptures as if they are merely an add-on. As if they are merely an add-on. That we can treat them the way that Americans can treat kitchen gadgets. So, I like to cook. My wife knows that I like to cook. We have a lot of gadgets in our home. And Americans, whether it's through marketing, advertising, capitalism, I'm not sure, but we love our gadgets. We love our tools. But our tools are not as essential as we think they are. This came clearly to me when I was cooking fufu and light chicken soup with Brother Isaac back there when I had him over, and we decided to make a meal together. I had laid out my cutting board. I had my serrated knife. I had my chef's knife. I had my garlic press. I had my cutting board for vegetables and my cutting board for meats. I had my bowls. I had everything. I was lined up. Isaac, what did you have, Isaac? Isaac had a knife. Now, I may have looked better prepping my ingredients. I didn't, but I could have if I knew how to use them well. But Isaac did just as much work, just as effectively with that one knife as I did with all of my gadgets. You can use a garlic press to press garlic, or you can use a knife. You can use a potato peeler to peel potatoes, or you can use a knife. You can use a serrated knife to cut chicken, or you can use the same knife that you use to cut vegetables. I'm afraid that so many of us can treat the scriptures as if it is one other thing rather than the essential thing. It's not a garlic press. It's not a potato peeler. This book is our knife. We cannot live without it. We cannot cook without it. And it can do any tool that it was intended to do. It can perform any function. The Bible is Isaac's knife. It's enough for us to know what God is calling us to do in order to live a life that is fully pleasing to him. Okay, so that's the sufficiency of Scripture, what it is. I want to wrap up this morning by looking at why it matters. Why does the doctrine of the sufficiency of Scripture matters? This is maybe one of the most practical doctrines that the church has. And it matters because it helps us answer the question that I raised at the beginning of the sermon. Where do we turn? Where do we turn in order to be equipped? Where do we turn in order to know how to view the world around us? Who or what is shaping 
the way that we live our lives, the way that we function in this world? Are we being influenced primarily by celebrities, by YouTubers, by writers, even by pastors? Or are we being influenced primarily by God's Word? And what maybe all of those people are helping to draw out of God's Word? If we really believe that the Bible is enough for us, enough to equip us for every good work, then we should be turning to the Scriptures first and foremost in order to be equipped to live out those good works in this world. Influencers, celebrities, and our culture can be helpful additions, but scriptures are essential. They are enough. In this book, we have everything we need to interpret the way we view the world in a way that honors and glorifies the Lord. Take, for example, and this is, this is a, a big one, but I was trying to think, how does this practically play out in this time period? Take, for example, the issue of coronavirus vaccinations. A lot of us have struggled in terms of understanding whether we should get vaccinated, whether we should not get vaccinated, whether we should get boosted, whether we should not get boosted, whether we should get vaccinated with Pfizer, whether we should get vaccinated with Sinopharm. Right? These are all big questions that have been going around in a lot of our minds throughout this pandemic. And in the Bible, we do not see a detailed answer. You don't look and say, thus saith the Lord, choose Pfizer, not Sinopharm. We don't get a detailed answer, but that doesn't mean it doesn't speak to this. In fact, I would say the Bible tells us exactly how we ought to think about vaccinations in a way that if we walk through the Bible, we will glorify the Lord and enjoy him forever. The Bible teaches us that God is Lord over all. That's important. That means that there is no area of our life that should not be submitted to him and honoring to him. What we put in our bodies or what we don't put in our bodies should be done for his glory and in his way. The Bible teaches us that creation and our bodies have fallen and been corrupted. The Bible teaches us, right? Early into the Bible, we see creation fell. Childbirth is difficult now. Death happens. We are fallen. What this means is that we should not look and say, the natural way is the best way. Because the natural way is fallen, just like our bodies are. The Bible teaches us that humans are called to exercise dominion of creation. And that technological developments, such as medical technology that creates vaccines, that's one way that we can do this. That we can exercise dominion through medical technology and vaccination. Our bodies are fallen. The natural way may be best, it may not be best, but we are called to exercise dominion, to cultivate nature, and not just allow for nature to be nature. The Bible teaches us, though, that technological developments can be used in opposition to God's purpose. Think of abortion. Abortion is a technological development that is used to murder children. 
medicines can be a way of dishonoring God as well as honoring God. Not all, so nature is not inherently good, and technological progress is not inherently good. There's a lot of technological progress that built the Tower of Babel, and it dishonored the Lord. The Bible teaches us that we are called to steward our physical bodies. Medicine can be one way to do this, but abstaining from medicine can also be a way to do this. So think of the person who becomes dependent upon opioids or painkillers, right? That medicine may have a good function, but choosing to abstain from the medicine might also be a way of stewarding the body. The Bible teaches that government is generally a good thing, that the posture of our heart should be to submit to those who are in authority over us. Paul can write that even Caesar, who himself claimed to be a god, even he was put there by God to work justice and to bear the sword for the good of God's people. But the Bible also teaches that governments can be corrupted and that people can be corrupted and that corrupt governments can seek to put down God's purposes. So we should not unquestioningly submit to those who are in authority over us. We test what they say against the scriptures. The Bible teaches us that there is wisdom in bringing in many counselors. So you've made it through this far. You're not sure what to do. The Bible says in the Bible, go talk to people. Ask questions. Bring in many counselors. Learn. Listen to doctors. Talk to people. And the Bible teaches us to live with one another in an understanding way, showing deference and honor to each other, even when we disagree. In all of this, we see how the Bible shapes our view of vaccination. Note what the Bible doesn't say. You should get vaccinated. The Bible doesn't say you shouldn't get vaccinated. I firmly believe that you cannot get vaccinated to the glory of God and I firmly believe that you can get vaccinated to the glory of God. That if you walk through this process and think through and submit your mind to Christ's word, you can look at it and you can say, I'm going to make a decision that honors the Lord, even if other faithful Christians who are also walking through this process come to a different conclusion with me. And then I'm going to live with them in a way that's understanding and honoring to them. As Christians, the Bible is sufficient for how we view coronavirus vaccinations in that we don't need additional revelation from God. We don't need to have God send us a prophecy that says you should get vaccinated or not. We can use what the Bible teaches us to lead us to an informed decision that glorifies the Lord, that honors Him, that loves our brothers and sisters, that stewards our bodies faithfully, and that trust the Lord. But if we're not running to scriptures to shape the way that we think about this, and instead are relying on either prophetic revelations or news pundits, then we're failing to be equipped for how to view this world. This is one area. There are thousands of areas of our life that we need to think through clearly and carefully. What does the scripture say about this? My prayer is that in 2022, 
our church would grow in being grounded in the scriptures, that we would be people who commit to this book, to commit not just to proof text or to point to a single verse, but to have our minds saturated with it, to be able to lean on it, to think like it, to have the Spirit move us to read it and be shaped by it. One of our goals in 2022 is that we want to be a church that reads the Bible together. In January, we're even going to have a training on how to read the Bible one-to-one with each other. We want to be people of the book because we believe that God has given it to us for every good work. Redeemer, there are good works for us to walk in this next year. May we lean not on our own understanding, but may we trust the Lord by reading his word so that we can walk in them. Let me pray. Lord, we thank you for, we thank you for your word, Lord, that you have given us everything that we need. Lord God, you are a kind and gracious God, and in your word, you have given us what we need for life and godliness, what we need for every good work. Lord, help us to be shaped by it and to live by it and to trust you for it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.